Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. This is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth. We're pleased to have you with us again, and our special guest today is Genevieve Poppy. She works out of Madison, Wisconsin, uh, or Milwaukee, I'm not sure which, uh, but she uh, serves, she uh, works with dentists all over the country, and she uh, speaks all over the country as well. She's done everything from being a, a dental assistant to own a dental practice. She generally works with about 12 practices at a time, and Genevieve, we're so happy to have you with us here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Are you out of Madison or Milwaukee? I'm out of Madison. Madison. Okay. All right. <laughs> Very good. Not too far apart. <laughs> good. All right. Well, our first topic today is practice building mindset. So what are the primary functions in an office that drive growth? Yeah, well, the primary functions in an, any given dental office that really drive a growing practice are really some of the most basic functions in a dental office. Uh, and they're really three main, main components that have to all be working together at the same time to technically be growing. One is your ability to attract new patients. Uh, the second is your ability to diagnose and gain case acceptance from those patients, get them to do the work that they want and need. And the third is your ability as a practice to retain new pa or retain all of your patients, to keep them coming back, to have a healthy recare system, and um, ideally get those patients sending us more new patients. <laughs> the ideally to get the patients to what? To send us more new patients. Right. So have happy like, patients that are sending more new patients, getting that cycle right. kind of going all over again. And, and that's commonly referred to as internal referrals, correct? Yep, internal referrals. And I, those are great, but I think what is a really common weak point, especially in offices as they get mature, is, is actually the retention side of things. A lot of practices have a heavy reliance on new patients because... They, they maybe don't understand their attrition or their, their retention. I've heard the term of we're losing patients out the back door, and I suppose that's a maybe terminology that refers to you have existing patients, but maybe they're not rescheduling or you're not seeing them again as, as you would prefer to see them. Is that Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, and that's a direct function of recare or recall efforts, what that's called in a dental office. And, and very often that is a super undermanaged process in dental offices. And um, one that the doctors don't always have their eyes on or any accountability or measurement around. And so, you know, if you're seeing a quick gut check on that is if you're seeing 20, 30, 40 new patients every month, but you're never adding hygiene time, you know, you can you can know right there that your new patients are simply filling in the spaces of old patients that aren't coming back. Yeah, well, that's a. It, that sounds simple, but uh, 
I imagine it is quite overlooked because it's not biting you in the rear end every day. So you're not, you're not maybe paying as much attention to something that's, you know, not in your face regularly. Very much so. So what are the most common reasons that new patients don't, don't schedule or, or reschedule? Right. So with the new patient side, there's kind of two things. Uh, the first is getting them to schedule at all in the beginning. Uh, oftentimes our teams don't even understand that their, their job is to get those phone calls scheduled, meaning they interpret a lot of new patient inquiries as simply a question that they answer and there's no real uh, training or attempt to even convert those inquiries into appointments. And so a lot of phone calls that start with, how much is a dental implant or do you take my insurance wind up unscheduled and um, a lot of doctors don't have any idea how frequently that happens it happens every day in almost every dental office uh, that unprepared teams don't recognize those opportunities and don't seize those opportunities and in terms of retaining new patients that's a number that again a lot of people don't have a good look at and so their sense is if you ask any dental front desk team they'll tell you pretty much everybody schedules, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty much everybody is probably true, but that, that margin in between the pretty much everybody and not everybody is often pretty big. And very often um, new patients, especially if they come in uh, like on an emergency or not through the hygiene schedule, will come in and see the doctor one time, maybe have an immediate or urgent need taken care of. Sometimes they'll have several appointments with the doctor and then the dental assistant walks them up front and says they're all set and they never get scheduled for a cleaning. And so they never have a recare type in our practice management software. And so they never appear on a list for us to follow up with them. And so new patients fall through the cracks every day, every week in dental offices. Yeah, it, it seems to me that um, a lot of practice owners underestimate the number of missed calls and the number of calls that come in that don't end up in scheduling. And and some of the things you referred to is the hygiene doesn't get rescheduled after the procedures are done sometimes. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, should, should, these, uh, should dental offices be recording their phone calls? You should absolutely be recording your phone calls. First of all, um, to have a sense of how, what your missed call volume looks like and your conversion rate. Uh, but it also helps you understand if their marketing that you're doing is working, if the marketing specifically is producing new calls because you can track leads by tracking numbers. And moreover, I think a lot of doctors never have any idea what their teams sound like on the phone. And that's the first impression of our office. It is probably the most important aspect of the way patients feel about us before they ever come to see us. And it, a lot of times very nice people in those seats, like really, really nice people in person don't necessarily translate great communication or great connection building skills on the phone. And so being able to hear that and being able to um, really be the guardian of your practices, reputation and impression to me is essential. And if you're not recording your phone calls, you really should be. I suppose that's legal, right? In most states or all states, hopefully. Um, I, there's different legalities in different states. It's usually uh, some states you have to have what's called a whisper that just says this call may be recorded for quality purposes, oh, which is it. a thing that people don't even blink at anymore. Right. Very reasonable. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, how many new patients do most practices need to see each month? <laughs> That's a good question. Of course, practices um, 
of different sizes and in different phases of growth have different targets here. But the simple answer is usually not as many as they think. <laughs> so um, new patients are often not our most profitable visits and they're not our highest case acceptance patients. And so a lot of times I find when patients, it's funny because I do a lot of coaching on new patient conversion, um, but a lot of times I find when doctors feel very focused and um, yeah, so a lot of times it is it's not as many patients as they think they need. When I'm talking to a practice that might be really focused on new patient conversion, it, it may not be that they're their need for new patients is significant as they think. A lot of times it's an indicator that their case acceptance with their existing patients and their retention of their existing patients is really a problem. So that's not filling their schedule. And then they get focused on new patients, which is an important part of any practice, but it's typically, I think, over-focused on as a means to compensate for uh, some other weaknesses in the practice. So it's really kind of a, a balancing act. If, uh, you know, if a practice owner is doing a good job uh, meeting the needs of the existing patients and introducing uh, treatment recommendations that are needed, then the need for new patients would be less. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. At time after time, if you look at the value um, per patient of a new patient versus an existing patient, existing patients are more valuable to us. They accept treatment. They have an established trust. They show up for their appointments. And Yet, when that's not clicking or not working in an office, the easy go-to is we need more new patients. And if you're in a growth mode or an acquisition or you have a, a patient base that's very aged or, or things like that, you may very well need more new patients. But a lot of times that feel of like we need more new patients to fill our schedule is often an indicator that there are some weaknesses, either the retention or case acceptance side or both. And frankly, if you're not getting good case acceptance with your existing patients, you're certainly not going to get it with new patients. Excellent point. You know, one thing that we see when we work with uh, practice transitions is that buyers sometimes purchase practices where maybe the, the treatment level has uh, been very conservative and there may be a lot of work to do. Of course, it could be the opposite, but generally it's, it's fairly conservative. And so then the new practice owner comes in and they may see some work that, that needs to be done, but they uh, obviously have to be very judicious in how they recommend treatment to a patient that they have an established relationship with. So your comment about uh, case acceptance is higher with existing patients made me think about that because obviously they need to grow their relationship with their new patients of the practice they just purchased in order to establish the trust needed for the patients to accept the, the larger treatment plans for work that they actually do need to have done. Absolutely. And that uh, that's kind of where, um, when I say practice building mindset, these are a lot of the things that I mean. Um, a lot of times dental teams, dentists themselves, are not thinking about these key drivers. And even in those cases where they acquire a bunch of patients who need a lot of treatment, um, they're not thinking of the connection side. They're not thinking of the retention side especially young dentists coming in are trained to educate patients, whereas older dentists know that it all comes down to their connection and their relationship with their patients. And so a lot of times that transition in between is, is a hard lesson on the, mm -hmm. on the new guy. <laughs> yeah. 
What are some treatment acceptance barriers that doctors uh, frequently experience? Yeah, so there's there's a handful of it. So it part of it is their own skill in, in connecting with patients, listening to them, and explaining things in a way that's relevant to that person, not the way they like to explain it. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll watch doctors, even very experienced doctors, really struggle to to have a connected conversation when it comes time to talk about patient needs. Um, but there's some hidden ones that I think a lot of times doctors don't see, which is what happens when they leave the room. So like I, the most hidden one that I think a lot of people don't see because we always blame it on our front desk or our treatment coordinator who didn't close it. So you have to ask yourself, did I do a good enough job as the doctor presenting? And then what happened after I left? Because inevitably, after the doctor leaves, the patient turns to look to that hygienist or that assistant and they'll say something like, oh, is this going to be expensive or is this going to hurt or, you know, I'm not sure about doing this. They'll, they'll just grumble a little. They'll say what they're feeling and very well-intentioned uh, team members, hygienists especially, will say, well, we can, we can check to see exactly what insurance will cover <laughs> and they will kill it before our treatment coordinator ever has a chance. And they will literally walk that patient up and in the handoff say something like, Bill needs a crown, but he wants a pre-off, which the patient never said, <laughs> but we convince ourselves that the patient thinks that they'll only do what their insurance covers. So um, where our teams tend to operate in a really stuck insurance mindset, they're very uncomfortable with money. And so they'll often kind of kill it on the way to the desk before our treatment coordinator ever has a chance to offer options around financing. And you know, the third place is taking a look at the actual effectiveness of your treatment coordinator. A lot of people in that seat are not salespeople. They actually got to treatment coordinator seat because they know the most about insurance. And knowing the most about insurance actually probably makes you the least effective treatment coordinator there can be. Wow. Um, it's, they're good at creating barriers and talking about what insurance doesn't cover. And so we actually promote the wrong people into those seats. They have great discomfort with whatever that patient portion might be and talking and sitting in the discomfort of a financial conversation. So those are things that I think a lot of doctors just assume are working for them. They don't really track it. They don't pay close attention to their case acceptance. Or if they see they have poor case acceptance, they're very good at convincing themselves that it's their patients. You know, you, these patients will only do what their insurance covers. These patients don't want to spend any money. And that is simply not true. <laughs> we, teach our, we teach our patients um, what they can do and what role insurance plays in that. I, uh, you know, working in practice transitions, uh, it's interesting what you hear sometimes. And I've had office managers tell me that, you know, the doc believes that the patients won't pay for such and such. But she says they always do. So the uh, the seller, the practice seller and the uh, transitions we work with frequently has very conservative uh, treatment planning because they think the patients can't afford it. But, you know, if they need to have treatment done and the doctor recommends it, you know, they will do it. And it's interesting that some of the staff members recognize this when sometimes the doctors don't even recommend it. That's a, you know, that's a disadvantage that comes in knowing your patients a long time is you start to assume and judge things about what they will or won't do. And then doctors sort of hold back what they would maybe recommend to a friend or a family member because of their belief about what this patient will or won't do. And uh, there again, in, in the terms of mindset, 
I tell people all the time, you know, I, I teach verbiage and I, I coach teams on case acceptance and new patient conversion, but I will tell you about 90 plus percent of my success in, in being good at both of those things is that I completely believe that the patient wants to do it. And my job is to figure out how to do it instead of presenting the information and seeing if they want to do it. And I, I think that is the way we think about it and the way we approach it and, and the way we set our beliefs around patient care very much impacts our success in it. It reminds me, uh, this may sound like a rabbit trail, but the, the idea is the same. It might kind of help drive home the point. So I needed a new set of tires for my car last week. And the, uh, the person at the shops said, hey, your tires are cupped, so on and so forth. You need to replace them. And he offered me a set for 900 some dollars. And I said, well, I want the quietest tires you have. And, and the tires he offered me were 50,000 mile tires. And the quietest tires and more expensive tires happened to be 80,000 mile tires. And they were $1,100. Well, I wanted the $1,100 tires, but they were trying to sell me the $900 some dollar tires because they thought, you know, it was a lot of money and they, they wanted to make sure they got the sale. But I, you know, I wanted what I needed. I didn't want what they, they thought I needed. So uh, it's, it's, it's a great finish. analogy. And of course, a lot of docs don't like to think that purchasing decisions are the same for dentistry as they are tires, but they are. <laughs> and it, it all comes yeah. down to, a lot of times we don't even ask patients what they want. We, we, we choose for them what they want to do. And that's the downfall of, of going into that super conservative part of your career as a dentist is, is something that I think docs don't see is they feel like they're doing their patients a real favor by being conservative and we don't need to do this just yet. And you know, what's really sad is when you're the treatment coordinator and there comes that point where, which everybody sort of reaches where we haven't needed it for a long time, but now every posterior tooth in their mouth needs a crown and they're 73, right? Mm -hmm. Those patients time after time will say, man, I wish I would have known about this sooner. I wish I could have done this when I still, I wasn't on a fixed income. I wish I could have done this when I was still working. And those dentists were well-intentioned and thinking they were doing these patients a favor, but they never said to themselves, could these teeth benefit from something different? And they never asked the patient, how do you feel about this? Do you want to be proactive with this? And so they just go into all that assumption and it is, it's well-intentioned. They're certainly not intending to leave a person in that position, but that's where it gets to. Our last question in this uh, segment of the podcast is what are some tips for retaining patients and getting referrals or reviews from them. I realize you could teach an all-day session on this, but uh, if you could turn eight hours into a few minutes, that would be fantastic. Very simply, when it comes to retaining patients, you have to pay attention. Um, a lot of people don't really have a recare system anymore. They have some sort of automated set of reminders that nobody really manages. They set it up three years ago, and that's their whole recare system. And as long as their schedule's full, they're not really proactively reaching out to patients. Um, and so having, a, having your eyes on it and having a recare system is the simplest and most tried and true way to have good retention. In terms of getting more referrals, <laughs> I say I have a two-step process for it. Um, the first step is you have to ask for them. Right? <laughs> you have to actually ask people to do it. And the second step that really does make an impact is making it easy for your patients. So using some sort of automated text that puts that link right in the palm of their hand, 
there's a handful of really great products that do that affordably and they're worth their weight in SEO. So you can always email me if you want a few recommendations, but that's really what it comes down to is very simple, basic stuff that um, we just don't hold our teams accountable to doing. Well, good. Genevieve, thank you so much for sharing on this episode today. And for our listeners who would like to get in touch with you, could you please share your contact information? Sure. You can schedule a call with me right from my website, which is poppypracticemanagement.com. And Poppy is P-O-P-P-E. Um, I'm also pretty sure I'm the only Genevieve Poppy on Facebook and LinkedIn. So I'm pretty easy to, <laughs> to find that way. Or you can just give me a call. My number is 608-358-3370. Thank you so much, Genevieve. And we look forward to you joining us on the next podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Oh, 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 oh,